0: So joining us by way of Zoom this morning, we have uh, Jeff and Steve and Rowan and Matt and joining me here this morning, we have uh, Joel and Chris and John and Keith and Joe and Jill so the main topic we're going to talk about this morning is going to be the practice of zazen uh, also i think we put a slash meditation but as we just uh chanted from Dogen's Fukan Zazengi, there's kind of a distinction being made here about zazen and meditation so that's an important point that i'm sure we'll kind of swing back to But first, I wanted to uh, uh, something that I was planning to include in the email that goes out on Monday. Uh, And I was originally planning not to say much, if anything, about it this morning. But then it dawned on me this actually is a good lead in to what we're going to be looking at with reference to Zaza practice. And it's it's a article that that I uh, got yesterday written by a professor of theoretical physics from the uh, Dortmund University in Germany. And his uh, most recent book, which was just published, is called The One, How an Ancient Idea Holds the Future of Physics. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, Joe, David Bone does appear in this article. No surprise there. (laughs) Uh, But it's this notion of that we're talking about on Thursday nights, uh, especially now that we're in the chapters 15 and 16 of, of the Lotus Sutra. It was kind of a central theme this past Thursday about This intertwining of the the one, the ultimate and the particular, the conventional. Uh, So in 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 terms of of the physics of it, we can relate it for those of you that have a little dabbling in things like quantum theory, there's the the particle and the way. And the wave, if we expand that out, Buddhist style is ultimately everything. And teachers like Thich Nhat Hanh use it in that fashion when
1: they talk about, you know, the drop of water and the wave. Or the ocean. The oceanic the sense of boundlessness and that is what i wanted to
0: have serve as, as the kind of prelude to entering into a look at zazen practice because when we're doing that we are kind of entering into that spaciousness with our particular being.
1: So Dogen in Fukan Zazengi gives us some directions.
0: And I'm glad Rowan could be with us this morning, because actually uh, she helped to uh, kind of set the course for this with uh, uh, an excellent question that she posed to me uh, earlier in the week. Uh, she was uh, curious about the fact that specific uh, instructions are given about posture. And of course, Dogen certainly <laughs> is pretty clear about that uh, in terms of fukan Zengi. But then, as Rowan uh, indicates, there's no specific instruction given about breathing, other than, and this is going beyond uh, just the specific uh, wording of Fukan Zazengi, but in terms of how it's generally taught, including by myself. Uh, that you know some guidance on breathing is offered. But it's really just being mindful of the breath, or you know, even to be the breath, the sense of of merging into the activity of it. Uh, And then she she pointed out that our posture impacts our nervous system as does our breathing. Uh, So what's the reasoning behind having these specific directions about the one and not the other. And actually, I think uh, the only direction that Dogen gives in Fukan Zuzangi relative to the breath is, is just this breathing, what he says, slowly, I think
1: it is. Not uh, sure. Uh, that of course you kind of set
0: it off with uh, taking a breath and exhaling fully
1: and uh, then just kind of settling in. Uh, Yeah, breathe softly through your nose
0: so there are other breathing exercises that uh, are certainly practiced in yoga but even outside of yoga but i think yoga uh, is kind of uh, one of the disciplines where various breathing practices has, has played an important role uh, and of course yoga is ultimately about meditation i had a yoga teacher when she found out i was a zen practitioner and she said well that's what we're doing here it's it's all about meditation so breathing can be a tool a helpful tool in the practice of meditation so the fact that dogan is kind of separating out zazen from meditation that zazen is not meditation practice to use his words so this is different but still you know the the question uh, should be asked and and uh and reflected upon about well why then is are we given such clear directions about posture and getting settled into it you know the yeah, uh, kind of to the left and to the right and
1: really getting getting that established uh, but yet the breaths were just kind of breathing naturally
0: And especially in the beginning, the posture may may not feel so natural.
1: Generally, don't sit up straight.
0: (laughs) And teaching uh meditation at a facility such as haven you know, even after I go through all this, you know, I'll kind of glance around and you know maybe in a good session half of them are sitting up straight uh but it's it's hard in the beginning can be but then once we've kind of started to to take on the practice we begin to discover why there's so much emphasis on the posture because it's it's the natural way to be. It's the best way to be. You know, if you canvass in terms of, of the ways it's the best way to be, it goes beyond just the practice of Zaza. If you canvassed uh, the orthopedic surgeons of, of America, <laughs> I think that would be pretty much unanimous. Yeah, people need to be up, upright. It's the best thing for our body and in terms of our mental state this oneness of my body and mind it's the most at ease posture that we can take once we get our various tendons and muscles accustomed to it muscles that prior to engaging in this practice, probably don't get used very much. So we have to kind of train them a bit. But once we do, I mean, it is, we're in alignment. We talk about being in alignment, being in tune. This is being in
1: tune with our environment here on earth, with the force of gravity that exists here on
0: earth. Maybe on the moon, it wouldn't be so important. (laughs) But here on earth, it's pretty helpful to be sitting up straight. As I tell people when I'm teaching meditation, it allows us to take a posture that we can hold for a considerable period of time. And be comfortable
1: once we've gotten broken through that initial barrier but once we've done that i
0: mean this this is the posture for those of us that sit regularly we know
1: this that's it that's the way to be so the posture is clear but then there's this sense of what do
0: we do with the breathing and you know, Dogen's
1: instructions about through the nose and gently—it's kind of it. And from
0: from my own practice of it, which then flows into the way I teach it, it's about we've we've now brought our our body into alignment with our environment, with the posture. And now there's we're moving towards this union of, of body and mind. And the breath is kind of the pivot point there. So to just breathe naturally. And I tell them actually breathing through the nose is natural way to breathe. It's the most relaxed
1: way. And when we're breathing through our mouth, it
0: tends to be much shallower up in the chest breathing. Whereas if we're sitting up straight or breathing through our nose, those, we, t- we fill our long, lungs. And we start to, uh, to breathe from the uh, diaphragm, the abdomen. And that promotes this sense of tranquility. With nothing else being required, there are special techniques of breathing. I'm sorry, Mark couldn't be with us this morning because I think he has practiced with teachers who have uh, used special techniques of breathing. So you can do that. And that would be another form of meditation to be mindfully aware of your breathing. You know, like, uh, I participate every summer in, an I meditate Cleveland event down at the inner Harbor. Uh, and mm-hmm. typically I'm, I'm the only Buddhist person there. Uh, it's basically a yoga teacher thing. And often they have special breathing exercises that they they lead people through, like breathing in the left nostril and breathing out the right nostril and and things like that, which uh, can really allow us to kind of become more focused. But what Dogen is teaching isn't about that. So that's kind of why the instructions for the breath are so bare bones. Breathe through your nose, breathe gently because there are some forms of breathing in yoga and we do those too that are are not gentle. (laughs) They can be pretty vigorous. And that's raising chi, so I get that. that's, That's a great thing too. But this practice is to come back to this all is one, is about bringing us into that space, just as we are. And that's what we're studying in the Lotus Sutra, just as we are, all beings are being, having it predicted for them that they will be Buddha we are Buddha nature across the board. So we don't need to do anything special. Ordinary mind is the way. So we could take that a step further and say ordinary breath is the way. Ordinary, actually being upright could be termed ordinary posture
1: from the standpoint that It's the way we should be. That should be the ordinary. We simply have kind of gotten
0: away from that as a culture, as a society. So it doesn't seem so natural in the beginning. But like I was saying, once we start
1: doing it, It's ordinary. This is it. And then when we enter into Zazen practice,
0: we can be perfectly at ease and not striving to do anything. As Dogen tells us, setting aside all our involvements ceasing all affairs
1: that we're engaged in that we just become present as we are that's so important the as we are nothing special which is why
0: he talks about there's no need to go off to dusty realms
1: What are you going to find there that isn't right here? Don't try to create something. It's not already here. So the the level of guidance is pretty minimal.
0: And I expressed that at Wyhaven. I said, you know, the instructions are real simple. Okay, take this long. (laughs) Sit up straight,
1: breathe through your nose. Then I talk to him about uh, handling all the thoughts that are coming up. But the simplicity is at the heart of it. That really kind of defines our practice. So simple. But that's also what makes it so challenging. (laughs) Sometimes the simplest things can be the most challenging. But. Hopefully. Seasoned practitioners that are here.
0: Have felt that it does become. More kind of just a manifestation of of who you really are, being able to settle into this
1: practice, not trying to achieve anything. Really important. One of the reasons why enlightenment isn't spoken about very much is that it becomes
0: something we're trying to achieve. It's the ultimate
1: uh, carrot. (laughs) Do this, and you can be enlightened. So the Lotus Sutra sit out there, don't worry about that.
0: Everybody's going to be enlightened. <laughs> All of you.
1: So just to advance forward to Dogen's time. Just sit. Which is another way of saying just be present as you are. Nothing special as you are. nothing to attain if you're trying to attain something you're not fully present right here you're focused on something outside of what's right here trying to get that Or even if it's something that is right here at the moment, trying to grasp it and cling on to it. And you can't be present with the next moment, the next moment. Because you're now fix, fixated on what actually goes back a, a few moments. Because that's the way we experience time. So we are kind of bringing ourselves, uh, to come back
0: to to the original question here about uh, this this interdependence, this connection uh, impacting our nervous system in terms of posture and the breath, that all of that's being taken into account actually, Mm but it's being done from the standpoint of uh, as suzuki puts it we're perfect and complete just as we are
1: and we don't need to uh, master special techniques because even when i was starting i have to confess i didn't consider sitting up
0: Upright to be a special technique. <laughs> I,
1: <okay. laughs> I didn't feel I needed to to
0: really go home and practice it. In that sense, I said I, I could do it. It's that's where right intention comes. If <laughs> I intend to do it, I'm doing it. If I don't,
1: then and, you know, I'm
0: human. Sometimes I don't. But then I realize this isn't comfortable. This is what happens to me at home. I'll be sitting and I'm not sitting upstream and it doesn't take very long. and It's not so good. I go, like, oh, sure. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> shame on me. <laughs> this is easy.
2: <laughs> Dean, can I ask a question?
0: The speaker. are good. Okay.
2: Thank you. Um, so just in practical terms, right? when I'm practicing, sometimes I notice, like it's fairly easy for me to sit up straight. Mm-hmm. That feels really natural, but I, I notice that my eye, you know, eyes kind of like drop down. And my thumbs kind of come apart, and so when that's happening, there's this connection with I'm spacing out a little bit, mm-hmm. and so I oh, okay, like, just bring my eyes up to about forty five degrees and touch my thumbs, you know, so I noticed that happened, and um and I feel more awake, right than when my eyes kind of drop down, and similarly, I notice um. So, so it sounds, well, let me stay with my practice practice. And I noticed like my breath might be a little more shallow. Mm -hmm. And so when I do that, I have this kind of inclination to also adjust the way I'm breathing and exhale all the way to the end and like really feel that. And then inhale without straining, you know, and then inhale and really feel the expansion of the breath. So, so that's kind of practically what's happening, but in terms of what you were saying about like the best or the optimal, right? So optimal posture is sitting up straight with your eyes, you know, about 45 degrees, your hands in this particular way. And it seems, it seems that we could also say that there's an optimal way to breathe in terms of letting your diaphragm you know expand and relax because that also allows me to be more present and upright so so that's what I was wondering is am i trying to like fix my breath just like i'm fixing my posture or do i just notice like oh my eyes drop down and oh that's interesting and my thumbs came apart Like I fix that, so should I fix my breath when it gets shallow?
1: Yeah,
0: and they're just different ways of looking at it. That's why, especially with the thumb tips, I'll kind of zero into that. Uh, It's rather than seeing it as fixing it because there's this ideal posture, this Zen posture, and I I need to be a good Zen person here and, and do it the right way. It's really just seeing this as my body's way of signaling to me if I am kind of, if the thumbs pull apart, then I am kind of zoning out. And conversely, if I'm really kind of pressing them together, uh, I'm kind of uh, really tense, you know, probably some thoughts and feelings are starting to get a hold of me. Uh, and just rather, so that rather than focus on getting it right that way, it's to become aware. It's just another tool to realize, oh, I'm zoning out. My thumbs are pulled apart. So by putting them back and, and just gently touching, as Dogen tells us, uh, I, I come back to being aware right here and now Uh, that's the important thing and that's always the important thing so the thumb tips are just the body's way of signaling that and they're also important Mm -hmm. because it's part of this whole sense of oneness it's like bringing our our posture together at that point so we're we're grounded in whatever way we're sitting, whether it's in a chair with us by sitting up straight and our feet firmly on the ground or on a bench with my knees firmly on the zombie time or in, in lotus position as it's mapped out for us by yoga.. And the thumb tips touching just kind of complete that whole uh, c- scenario is in terms of our body. We're we kind of complete the circuit there, and now we're ready to to complete the circuit from that broader perspective that we can uh, by stilling our mind. We can, it's kind of like the thumb tips touching, it's our, our mind touching reality and, and touching it gently, not pulling out or pressing too firmly, but think of it in terms of how uh, this practice of non-thinking is our mind still is active and engaged, you could see are getting caught up by thoughts and here the uchiyama uh, explanation from opening the hand of thought uh, comes into play rather nicely you know that's when we're really getting bombarded with thoughts that's the thumb tips really pressing pressing each other so it's our our mind tip really pressing uh against what we're experiencing and when we zone out, it's it's the mind points pulling away. And we just kind of space out. So I think the thumb tips touching is a nice metaphor for our our mind state in doing Zanza. And maybe to see those both as being similar practices. And deal for the eyes being being kept open, which
2: Duncan does
0: include that in his direction. I have to tread softly on that one in a place like Whitehaven because they they're going to have a tendency to just doze off. Snoring does occur, <laughs> <laughs> and I try to be uh, uh, kind of. Uh, Providing some affirmation there that that's okay. (laughs) Part part of meditation is relaxing and you're doing that. (laughs) But that's not meditation (laughs) because that's that's just part of meditation. (laughs) We need to combine that that relaxation with being alert. (laughs) But we'll work on that. (laughs) In the meantime, you're kind of dropping into it. Yeah, so you pat yourself on the back, I really relaxed today. So keeping the eyes open help that's like the thumb tips lightly touching too. Yeah, so we're receiving through our senses it's our senses are touching the world, But they're not pressing it and they're not uh, zoning out. So, a comment and a question, on, and Rowan's comment about fixing her breath. The way I've always looked at it is, um, it's,
1: right. It's, it's probably something you said years ago. Was uh, your breath
0: is just more kind of closest thing to you in this present moment. So you're lost in thought, you're lost in thinking or planning or worrying, and then you can. Focus on your breath just as a way to bring slow your mind down and bring it back towards this present moment and then pay attention to your thoughts after you brought yourself back. So not a way of focusing on your breathing or fixing your breathing, but just as an initial step to get you out of your mind and into your body and present, right. to focus on your breathing, bring yourself back into that center, and then let go of the breathing and return to the present moment and your thoughts. Right. Um and I know oh, the other is I've I've taught a lot of friends and acquaintances meditation mm-hmm. and lately there's a lot of people that i've run into said i have add i can't do i can't meditate mm-hmm. so i wonder is it would you recommend more focusing on the breath or something like that at least to start to help somebody with like an add or but what i found is that once they really start to meditate it doesn't matter add no add anxiety the following in the breath, the slowing the mind, and just the standard instruction of meditation is enough. But I, you have much more experience teaching people why they even are in and also with all sorts of right. mental you know, baggage yeah. that they're dealing with. Yeah. If there's any practice you've come across as more effective, or is it
1: just case by case? case.
0: It really does ultimately become a case by case. So that uh, some people with the, uh, the attention issues uh, Yeah, I mean, there is a a role for medication to play. It might get overused, but there is a a place for that, that if if they don't receive some sort of meditation, uh, meditation may help, but I think the thing to be sensitive to is that the attempt to meditate could actually trigger it even more, more, could kind of light the fire under. So, and maybe, maybe send them to the place on Lee Road where they're doing chanting. And maybe that's their practice. It's, It's why we have all these different practices. You know, this is the right practice for me, but various people have different situations and maybe they need to find a different form of practice that's more suitable for some of the uh, issues they're dealing with. So, yeah, that's one important thing to always keep in mind: is be very open. That you know, what I'm teaching, I try to be pretty open in terms of how we can meditate. But sometimes, you know, it's somebody's just not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. There's a person at Whitehaven who comes occasionally who really struggles with asthma. There would be wheezing in there, and I really feel
1: bad. you he's got a bad case up, it. Mm-hmm. But He does come and try. Yeah.
0: The one other thing that, or at least the one thing that I found over time is that the mindfulness becomes much more gentle over time. Mm-hmm. But what I mean by that is being much more able to recognize when things first start to move or or your your first out of alignment or whatever that it happens at a much earlier time and much there there's much less
1: adjustment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if thanks if I'm being clear about what I'm saying, but um, it
0: I don't find that I'm I'm correct in posture near as much as I used to I mean, mm-hmm. because I'm still holding it. Right. I recognize when I'm moving out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's really grown out of mindfulness, I think, over time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> I, can, I can see that.
0: I was going to say, um, when referring to teachings at Dogen, don't we have to take that like kind of with consideration that he's not starting from ground zero. He's already like starting at a level much higher except for specific situations. So he's dealing with people that might be more well-versed in uh, techniques like Vipassana or that, that have already, uh, you know, mindful breathing practices is already part of their culture so that he didn't spell it out for them because it was not necessary because they were already there. In that, uh, well, like you said, different people, different techniques seem to work better. But that's all I wanted to comment on. Thanks. So. Yeah, no, that's that's a real good point. And it was kind of, I think, for from his standpoint, he would have seen that as, as probably a double-edged sword. Because uh, he was a lot of the people he was working with. And I guess preface this by saying Fukazu was like the first thing he wrote upon coming back to Japan. So he's introducing this new practice uh, for the first time in Japan. But you're right in terms of the people, that, most of the people that were coming to study with him, and perhaps all of them, were coming from other Buddhist backgrounds. But the, the double-edged side of that is they had all these, we could call them like bad habits. <laughs> The, the the things that Dogan was, and that, I think that's why he makes a point of saying zazen is not meditation practice. That would have been really geared towards uh, the people that were coming to study with him. Because they were accustomed to doing meditation practice. And that was, I think, Dogan's way of saying, no, this is different. This is zazen. This is a whole different thing. So kind of letting them know they needed to set that aside and follow Dogen's direction. Start from square one with beginner's
1: mind.
2: (laughs) That's such a great point. It reminds me of um, when I was practicing yoga a lot and teaching, um, there were some folks that had practiced a very disciplined form of yoga for many, many years. And then they developed an approach that was called moving from the inner body. And they were teaching it, and yet people who had never practiced yoga that started with that, it was a really different experience from people who had practiced like a more structured approach to yoga. Like you put your foot this way, not this way. And so it was really freeing for people who had experienced such a structured approach to practice. But I think it it had a different effect on people who had never practiced and they're just kind of doing whatever. And it reminds me of, um, so I play flute and I studied classical flute for a long time, but played uh, I play other types of music and somebody came to me once and said oh she wanted to learn to improvise and i said okay we'll learn scales and like practice all this kind of foundational stuff and then start to improvise well no i don't want to practice scales i just want to learn to improvise and it's like well it's gonna sound really bad (laughs) so i think that's such a great point you know that i i never really thought about like who was receiving those teachings and what was their background? What was their prior training? Which all goes back to skillful means like, what's a good fit for people at that time? So, thank you for raising that. Yeah, That's yeah. Great. Good
1: job. Good job. Um A couple of
0: things. Uh, for for Rome, as far as the breathing thing, and, and this and, and this also addresses uh, what Keith was talking about as far as ADD people not doing uh, some forms of meditation. But uh, so I have two really great examples in my own life, and I won't mention any names, but I'm married to one of them. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> being very challenged with ADD issues for a long time that I was witness to, uh, started with a group several years ago in ecstatic dancing Mm. and uh, sort of like Sufi Sufi dancing. They weren't spinning in circles. This was a free form ecstatic dancing, but it was sort of structured in how they moved into it uh, as a group with conversation and then into this stuff on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, and after many years of trying different things and um, getting conversation with psychologists and psychiatrists and, and much stuff that went on, all of a sudden I saw a life just smooth right out. Wow. In that very first several months, a totally different person and stayed like it. she did that all the way until last year when the group sort of. Participated because the host moved away, but uh, the the results are just amazing Mm -hmm. and stable there. I had another friend similar to that that used most of his energy to start up several companies. He was very successful and uh, he's living in Arizona today and he's following, he's taken his energy and his retirement into the... He was very interested in meditation, but he couldn't meditate. Mm -hmm. So he ended up following this person by the name of Sri Sri Radha Shankar in a global movement, which is all about breathing. And he coerced me into a long afternoon on a Zoom call with uh, about 50 other people going through this practice to see what it was all about. It was amazing. I also got very high by the time we got off the Zoom call, yeah. I was buzzing. <laughs> and all the breathing practices, but their, their objective is to learn those practices well enough to condense them down to a 20 minute a day practice every okay. day. And that's his meditation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Today, he also is a very different person to deal with than when he was in his entrepreneurial business. A lot of energy and a lot of food color. Anyhow, great examples. Yeah! I wanted to mention, you're, you're um, pointing out this physicist this yeah. morning. Last night, while I was hunting for a book on a meditation practice, I discovered a book that I forgot that I owned. It was a book on the physics of time by Carl. Uh, Rebellion. yeah, I have it. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> just <laughs> I, I have had it too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I started reading it. And um, yeah, I just wanted yeah. to, I didn't know if you would have read that book. Yeah. I, I picked it up on Dean Ruffin's in the past. So.
0: <laughs> in <laughs> fact, there, there's a new one, uh, <laughs> On the Origin of Time, oh, Stephen boy. Hawking's Final oh, theory. Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> I, I brought this along for you, students of Uji.
1: Uh, this is what we
0: needed. How confused can you get? I
1: have to brush up on my kanji. Since we mastered Uji by the way.
0: Yeah. I, I wish Hawking had had a chance to read Uji. I have really been interested in Lenin's yeah, take with so, exactly. <laughs> it. I think Lachoni did. He makes a statement about being kind right in the very beginning of it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. another one of his books he talks about Nagarjuna, he devotes yeah, a whole mm-hmm. chapter to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely plugged into Buddhist thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting to me to see all these deep interconnections between Buddhist thought and,
2: and cutting
0: edge uh, science. Because, I mean, science is now at those frontiers of really approaching the, the whole. And as they push further and further against that, it, it's kind of natural that you know, Eastern spirituality, which has been focused on on the whole, uh, uh, they, they should start to resonate with, with each other. So that's why uh, some of the most Buddhist things I read are outside of Buddhism. And Buddhism can get pretty happy. <laughs> Same old dharma crap. What's <laughs> mm-hmm. really happening in our time? That's that's uh, 21st century dharma is going to look a lot different from you know the the dharma of, of earlier times. But you know it's still helpful, I think, to study those old texts, mm-hmm. but. The only reason for doing that is to build that platform from which we can now come back into our time and our situation and really it helps us or at least it helps me to be able to relate to what's happening right here and now so the wisdom from back then is is clear to me but it for it to really remain alive, that needs to be brought into our time. So that's why one thing that <clears throat> I, I never really ha- had much appeal to me, as I've said, would be something like the Abhidharma teachings about the earliest uh, uh, Buddhist psychology. Because, I mean, based on where current thought is along those lines, it's it's like well, that's where we need to be engaged.
1: Uh, but that's just me. So, so anything else? Yeah. Just a rabbit hole. A- am I the only one that sees the
0: irony in Dogen in 1200 going on this dangerous journey to China to find his true teacher? And then he comes back and writes oh, this, this and says, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why would you leave? Now that he brought it back, really. You know, like, Yeah, Yeah. well, now you don't need
1: to go. I got it.
0: (laughs) Well, and when he's saying that, he had just gotten back, so he knew he wasn't fooling anybody about that piece. (laughs) What are you doing here, John? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just going to stay at home and meditate this morning. (laughs) Got to come to this dusty place. Yeah, right. There's no dust. It's raining so I can come around. It's not a so dusty. Well, he used to go a lot further, so he's yeah. actually, <laughs> he's go. kind of come <laughs> back to his realm. He's not going out to the dusty realm.
1: Anymore. Yeah, no, no more trips to the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> now I go to the West Coast. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. well, let's close out. May our intention equally
0: penet-
2: penetrate
0: every being we with the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them.
1: Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become. All right. Enjoy the rest.